Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And just a quick reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud. And you can always find us on irishtimes.com. Also, if you like what you hear on our two episodes a week, which are uploaded on Mondays and Thursdays, do go to iTunes and write a review there telling everybody else why you think this is the best podcast in town. We'd really appreciate it. In this episode of the Women's Podcast, we go time travelling back to the Ireland of 1983, to the unusually hot summer and autumn of that year, in the run-up to the contentious abortion referendum. The warm weather had led to water shortages across Ireland, Kilkenny experienced its hottest day ever and Burr its hottest day that century. In the charts, Rod Stewart was getting all worked up about baby Jane, Paul Young was crooning about wherever he laid his hat that was his home and the police, in echoes of the then pervasive influence of the Catholic Church, told us, every breath you take, I'll be watching you. And if things weren't hot and heavy enough already, it was the summer of the pro-life amendment referendum debate. That referendum took place on Wednesday, September 7th, 1983. And in the weeks and months beforehand, the country was convulsed by the question of whether or not to introduce Article 40.3.3 into the Constitution. This would become known as the Eighth Amendment. The referendum wording eventually agreed was... The state acknowledges the right to life of the unborn and with due regard to the equal right to life of the mother, guarantees in its laws to respect and as far as practicable by its laws to defend and vindicate that right. That referendum was carried by 841,233 votes to 416 and 136 votes, a 67% majority with a 54% voter turnout. And one month later, the Eighth Amendment was inserted into the Irish Constitution. Today, with Irish voters about to decide whether that same amendment should or should not be repealed and politicians given the power to legislate for abortion, that vote will be cast on May 25th, we decided to look back at the letters page of this newspaper in 1983. These days, the gender balance of letters to this newspaper is 60-40 men and women. However, back in 1983, the overwhelming majority of letter writers to this paper were male. We went through the letters pages of that time to find out what women were saying in the run-up to the referendum. After all, as one woman put it in a letter to the Irish Times in 1983, it is women who will be affected by the result in the final analysis. It's striking to see many of the same arguments that are still to the forefront of the debate now writ large in the letters pages of 1983. Here are a selection of those letters. Sir... I hope it is not presumptuous for an ordinary pro-life Irish Protestant woman to respond publicly to the threat of the Fianna Fáil wording. 
As an Irish citizen, I would deplore the addition of a clause to our constitution that depends on a particular and liberal interpretation of its three obvious ambiguities if it is to be acceptable to anybody. As a woman, I find the Fianna Fáil Amendment grossly insulting to me as a woman with responsibilities to my family, husband and society in general in that it declares that my value, i.e. right to life, health, etc. is no greater than that of my own newly fertilised ovum. May I ask where the idea of equality of rights came from? None of my Catholic friends with whom I have raised the subject believe this principle to be true and it is now quite clear that none of the pro-life amendment campaign spokesmen believe it either. They seek to embed in our constitution a principle that they don't believe in merely because it is a great help to their goal. Not good law, Mr Binchy. Do you want to drive us all around the twist while you write new dialogue for Alice? Yours, Helen Screen, Butlerstown. Sir, Conor O'Cleary's comment under the heading Pulpit Politics, weekend July 9th, observed that the date was now set for the referendum on abortion and that the pro and anti campaign will get underway. He listed persons and groups opposing the amendment on medical and legal grounds, but failed to mention the persons and groups who support the amendment on medical and legal grounds. From his pulpit in the Saturday column, these selective observations have been issuing for months to my intense personal irritation. Now he surmises that the pulpit will be used to support the pro-amendment lobby. Why on earth should it not be used? Does Connor think, after his long innings with his pulpit, that no one else at this late hour has a similar right? Nothing has been said about the amendment in my parish church as yet, but hopefully those who have been confused by the bedlam of the past months will have the issue put before them clearly. For my part, I have not been confused. I made a rational decision when the matter arose and shall vote for the wording first decided upon by most elements in our society in November last and subsequently passed by the Oroctus. Had resolute leadership been available then, last November, the whole blessed thing would be over long ago and forgotten. Let us remember that we are not changing the law, we are defending it. At least it is to be hoped we do defend it. The long delay has generated an enormous body of muddle-headed matter, but the Irish people are not easily codded. Yours, Maureen Ahern, Corbally, Limerick. Sir... Recently, many thousands of so-called pro-lifers marched through the centre of Dublin, fearing even the possibility of women gaining the right to choose abortion. Last week, about 100 people marched the same route, fearing a nuclear holocaust. The obvious assumption is that the pro-lifers consider that a woman seeking to terminate unwanted or even dangerous pregnancy is more to be feared, denounced, even punished, than power-dizzy men who threaten to annihilate us all. Yours, Patricia Reed, Dublin 6. Sir, it may be pro-life for the fetus, but it will be pro-death for some mothers. If the amendment to the Constitution is passed as it stands, it will mean that mothers cannot get a termination of pregnancy for any reason, including cancer of the cervix, implantation outside the womb or any other serious threat of death to the mother. If the amendment goes through, it will mean death for some mothers. As a mother myself and potential grandmother, I must vote no to an amendment which could mean death for my daughters. Yours, Patricia Nugent, Blackrock, County Dublin. Akara, having read many of the letters in your paper over the last six months or so concerning the forthcoming referendum, I have noticed that those of the pro-abortion use similar terminology. 
The unborn is generally referred to as the fetus, the fertilised ovum, or the fertilised zygote. Although scientifically correct, the attitude provoked by such terms can be rather misleading. Many claim that it is wrong for the fertilised zygote to have the same rights as a mother, and such a description certainly diminishes the importance of the unborn. However, such ready dismissal of the fetus, or ovum, or whatever it may be termed is unacceptable, since it is, unarguably, a potential human. Once fertilised, it is a child at an earlier stage of development, and only a short space of time brings it to maturity. The fact that it is not visible makes it easier to dismiss. But even after the first week in the womb, it is taking our human form. Each of us was once at that stage of development. In America, a baby born prematurely at 11 weeks, alternatively a fertilised zygote born prematurely at 11 weeks, survived and is now a normal healthy child. It cannot therefore be dismissed as a cell, since it is a developing child. The difference between the destruction of a baby before and after birth is that we cannot actually see the child within the womb. In cases where the mother's life and health is endangered, ectopic pregnancy and cancer of the womb, for example, abortion is obviously the only alternative. But never can the unborn be said to have no rights in comparison to the mother. In his letter of June 1st, Ivor Alexander states that voting for the amendment is voting for the Catholic dogma. It is unfortunate that religion is dragged into an issue which concerns solely the protection of the developing child. Ismisha, Grania de Burka, Shankill, Dublin. Sir, National Truth in the Media campaign has revealed that the National Union of Journalists favours the killing of any unborn child, provided the baby's death is at the mother's request. Your report on our leaflet on June 6th needs some comment. 1. The purpose of the leaflet is to alert the public to the pro-abortion and, consequently, anti-amendment policy of the NUJ. 2. It points out that the NUJ regards abortion as being a woman's right if she chooses to have her unborn baby killed. We do not claim that all members of the NUJ support this policy. 3. The leaflet shows a photograph of a refuse sack full of aborted babies aged between four and six months. These babies have obviously suffered a painful death. This photograph was entered as scientifically documented sworn evidence before the Federal District Court of Connecticut and before the Judiciary Subcommittee of the US House of Representatives. In other words, it is an authentic photograph of a refuse sack full of babies dead as the result of abortion. 4. Your report does not mention that the leaflet asks everyone to vote yes for the pro-life amendment in order to defend unborn babies and protect pregnant women of abortion. 5. Perhaps the National Union of Journalists would explain why they have any policy on abortion, their present policy being the serious threat to freedom of the press in this country. 6. With this policy of the NUJ, how can the Irish people expect fair and impartial treatment by the media of the campaign to protect our unborn children? The NUJ has already played a major part in the campaign for abortion in Britain. Is it now playing the same role in the campaign for abortion in Ireland? Yours, Anne Sheridan, National Truth and Media Campaign, Tala. Sir, It is sad to hear, read and feel the debate that is dividing this country at the moment. Sad that this referendum is being held at all, but it is before us and we must face up to it. The response to an unwanted pregnancy can only be written in the heart of the human being concerned. 
to legislate for this dilemma is to diminish the nature of the response and perhaps invalidate the choice in the heart. But the central issue, i.e. the recognition of the right to life of the unborn, is so compelling and so unambiguous that I could not vote against it. And in voting yes, I hope my wits and efforts are sharpened to the needs and hurts in our society. Yours, Brenda McGann, Monkstown, County Dublin. Now, we said we would just bring you women's letters, but I want to bring you this one from June 11th, which is from a man, and he's called Herbert Butler. And the reason I want to read it is because it prompts a response from a woman in a subsequent letter that was published in the Irish Times. Abortion has been legalised in England since the 60s, and some 5,000 women are said to go annually to England on the abortion trail. So, if there is any truth in these figures, there must be nearly 100,000 women in Ireland who have acted criminally and could be sentenced to life imprisonment. If the amendment is passed, they will be doubly criminalised. Obviously, they dare not defend themselves. Have we a right to condemn our fellow citizens unheard? Very few will have made their decision likely. Many will have gone in desperation. Cannot the anti-amendment group give them a voice? Many of these women would feel they had a responsibility to others who suffer as they have suffered and who would cooperate. They would tell of the very varied motives from which they acted. A selection of their stories could then be published. Obviously, the anti-amendment group editors would treat their names confidentially. Yours, Hubert Butler, Bennettsbridge. Sir, Hubert Butler seems to be in a dilemma as to the difference between moral judgments and moral absolutes. He states that the thousands of women who go for abortions to the UK must not be condemned since it was obviously under stress that many decided to abort their unborn child. While we must never be judgmental in our attitudes to such women, we must always state that abortion is unacceptable and morally wrong. We do no justice to these women by condoning abortion. There is a vital difference which all reasonable people must bear in mind when dealing with issues like abortion. Killing and the killing of unborn children is morally wrong and a serious violation of human rights. There are many stressful circumstances under which a woman may have an abortion and it is towards her in her distress that we must extend our compassion. Perhaps if we were more successful, Mr Butler, there would not be so many abortions. A very relevant point here is that an increasing number of women, married and single, abort their child not because of social stigma, lack of finance or emotional support, but of their own personal choice. No matter how many services one provides, there will be an increasing number of women conned into believing the fetus is not a human being and that abortion is safe, who will make use of abortion facilities. I may remind Mr Butler that the anti-amendment campaign is a pro-abortion campaign, see the literature, and has little or no interest in the welfare of pregnant women except to allow them to abort their child. They are so busy trying to defeat the amendment that they have little time for women who have had abortions. In any case, it would not enhance the image of the pro-abortion campaign in Ireland to reveal that women who have had abortions have suffered physical or psychological complications of various degrees that would shock any doctor, not to mention a layperson such as Mr Butler. Let us get our priorities right. 
Abortion is killing an unborn child and it is never a solution to a woman's social or medical problems. Thus, it is our responsibility as a society to extend a helping hand to those in need of support. Stop trying to convince ourselves that abortion is acceptable for women when it is not. Abortion is an expedient social solution to a serious problem and serves no one but those of us who are unwilling to take our responsibilities seriously. Finally, the amendment is about legalised abortion and the women of Ireland say no, thank you. Yours, Magella Mulkeen, Santry. Sir, Magella Mulkeen would do better to get her facts in order. There is a significant majority of the anti-amendment campaign who have openly and consistently denied being pro-abortion. In fact, I think I can safely say that no one is intrinsically pro-abortion, although an increasing majority of us are in favour of making the choice for ourselves and not having our personal morality dictated to us by church or state, or, indeed, the likes of Miss Mulkeen. Mulkeen says, The amendment is about legalised abortion and the women of Ireland say, No, thank you. Perhaps if she was to look a little closer, she would see just how many of us are going to say yes, please. Yours, Caroline Canino, County Kildare. Sir, Magella Mulkeen seems to think that she has been given some kind of divine right to speak for the women of Ireland on the subject of abortion. The women of Ireland, whose lives will be put at risk if the proposed changes are made, have never been consulted or considered by any political party or group in the present hectic debate. If they had been consulted, and if they had a concerted opinion to present, I very much doubt if they would elect Miss Mulkeen to act as their spokesperson. Yours, Carmel Courtney, Dublin 14. Sir, as I am Irish, on holiday from Britain, I feel emboldened to put forward a viewpoint on the anti-abortion issue. There seems to me to be too many words and too little human feeling. I believe that where it is a question of choosing between mother and fetus, the mother must be saved. A point which seems to be disregarded is that the mother has a powerful conscious instinct to cling to life, the most powerful of all instincts, whereas the fetus has no such awareness of life and its meaning. I feel it to be wrong and callous to tell a life-loving woman that she must die for the sake of a fetus, which might be physically or mentally handicapped, or both. The mother may have many loved ones. Nature is the greatest abortionist of all. Such is nature's way. Thereafter, millions who do survive are killed off by famine, drought and disease within their first few years. Surely the whole question is out of all proportion to what happens in the natural world. Finally, I feel that if the father too had to die with the mother, there would be less concern for the fetus and far fewer words. Yours, Joanna Roach, Galway. Sir, Dr. Katerina Dolan, the pioneer in identifying the premenstrual tension syndrome, has noted that women produce 30 times their peak level of the hormone progesterone during pregnancy. This gives them feelings of well-being. Dr. Dolan has injected this hormone successfully recently in cases of postnatal depression. We have, therefore, a biological reason to counter abortion when women can be cushioned from shocks like rape, etc. by the response of their own bodies. Why is this fact so rarely highlighted by pro-abortion lobbyists, I wonder? Yours, Stephanie Maguire, Westbury Court, Wilton. Sir, 
In response to Stephanie McGuire, her point that a 30-fold increase in a woman's peak hormone level, which induces a sense of well-being, is highly insensitive when used to justify a rape victim carrying her pregnancy through to its full term. Has Ms McGuire considered the mental well-being of the victim, or is her statement based on the physical aspect alone? Maybe rape victims should consider themselves lucky if a pregnancy is the result of the worst and most violent crime against a woman. After all, the victim will feel great for nine months. Yours, Denise Somerville, Dublin 14. Akara, with reference to the proposed referendum on the amendment of the Constitution, I consulted my cuttings out of a particular newspaper for the year ended July 31st. Out of 398 articles and letters, only 48 were contributed by women. This phenomenon begs some questions. Are women not interested in the subject? They must be. It is women who will be affected by the result in the final analysis. Is it that they depend on men to express their viewpoint? Maybe. Men have been doing well, mostly, but it must be a man's viewpoint they are expressing. Is it that they feel inadequate to the task? They shouldn't. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world is still true, and cradles are back in fashion. Or is it that they are sitting quietly back, observing the fuss, but knowing instinctively that for a woman, abortion is no option? Can a mother forget the child of her womb? No, it is her very nature to nourish, protect and care, whether her child be helpless in the womb, struggling in the competition of college or toiling in the desert in his effort to proclaim his independence. To murder her child is as contrary to her nature as snow in August. To urge her to do what is unnatural to her is to invite nature's retribution on her. For nature thwarted will hit back. In America, rare and fatal diseases have been traced to sexual promiscuity. To a woman, abortion is a truly traumatic experience with consequent psychological repercussions. So who wants abortion legalised or on demand, not women? They can envisage such a system as a new enslavement of women, whereby they can come under extra pressure from the men in their lives, boyfriends, lovers, husbands, to indulge in physical sexual relationships without having to carry the responsibility of their actions. Of course, there are the people who will perform the service. Abortion on demand will open up big business for them. Women, this is possibly the only occasion on which you will ever be consulted on the legalisation of abortion in this country. Use your vote. Remember what happened in America. Remember what happened in Britain. These are the two cultures which influence us mostly. Take all the means in your power to be informed on all aspects of this vital catalyst and you will have no doubt what way to vote on September 7th. As parents, we owe to future generations a world where they can live in true freedom and happiness. Matilda Cooney, Port Leash. Sir, your report from Dick Walsh regarding former Fine Gael Senator Morris O'Connell again demonstrates your correspondent's determination to give the anti-life lobby as much support as possible, which apparently, if one can fairly form a judgment on the basis of the great column inches given to that group, is the Irish Times policy. A good argument hardly for the freedom of the press. Morris O'Connell is quoted as trotting out the usual false reasons for campaigning against the amendment. He is not so stupid as to fail to see how spurious they are and so must be judged to wish, like his colleagues, to keep the door open for abortion under certain circumstances. In making this human rights issue a political football, as his leader has done, his priorities are clear and his regard for the basic of all human entitlements of a very low order. Since it is virtually impossible to have unanimous agreement from such a diverse group as the total population, all principles, policies and philosophies will have some discussion and can thus be misrepresented as divisive.
A constitution which contained only those articles which had absolute total acceptance would be a slim volume indeed. It is insulting to suggest, as is being done time and time again, that the six-county population can only be won over to accepting national unity if the Republic becomes an unprincipled, lawless, amoral, permissive state. One can expect that the use of such specious arguments that Morris O'Connell and his associates, such as young Fina Gale, use to cause confusion and anxiety will serve the pro-life cause well, in that sensible people will see through their dishonesty and vote yes in the referendum. Yours, Maxime Noel, Arklow, County Wicklow. Before I bring you the next letter, I just need to let you know about Dean Griffin, who was the Dean of St. Patrick's Cathedral at the time. He had been very vocal about being against the amendment, mostly because it was sectarian. He had made the points that women's life was more important than a fetus. And he was really adamant that the Constitution was not the place to insert moral views. Our next letter writer references him. Sir. This is a brief note of support for everything Dean Griffin has been saying in the media lately. My thanks to the Dean for returning to me my lost dignity. I am a woman, and yes, I have always thought that my life is more important than that of some accidentally fertilised zygote I may happen to be carrying. It is remarkable how uncaring the Society for Protection of Unborn Children People and similar are once the unborn is born. They lose all interest and couldn't care less what happens to either child or mother. The state hands out a miserly £11 odd per month towards the child's support. Compare that with British and European child allowances. If a mother has to work, a creche or playgroup costs £25-£30 per week. This proposed anti-abortion amendment is a charter of hypocrisy. Many women here have had abortions, but fear a public pillorying if they stand up and say so. No woman should be coerced by law or custom to bring an unwanted child into the world. And no one should vote for this amendment unless they are prepared to bring up in their own homes the product of an unwanted pregnancy. A final word. Will there be jobs for even half of our Irish babies born in the 80s when the time comes? Will extra government posts be found for them all in Europe? No, we are already overrepresented in Europe. Enough of overpaid and unproductive politicians. Will they all have to emigrate, as some politicians are already suggesting the present unemployed should do? And to where, pray, now all traditional doors are closing. This foolhardy and short-sighted policy of letting all comers be conceived and born, wanted or not, is highly ridiculous and totally lacking in human compassion. Yours, Anne Ironmonger, Dublin. Sir, the proposed amendment is not sectarian. The state proposal acknowledges the right to life of all the unborn, regardless of the circumstances of their conception and it furthermore proposes to uphold and vindicate that right. This is, therefore, about basic human rights. All human rights debates are divisive. The late Dr Martin Luther King paid the price in his people's struggle for equality. We claim that the unborn have the right to live. Yours, Patricia M. Ruttle, Pro-Life Amendment Supporter, Dublin. Cara. On my way into Mass yesterday, Sunday, September 4th, I was accosted by children handing out pro-amendment leaflets. Do they understand this amendment? When the priest announced that today, instead of the usual homily, I shall read a letter from Archbishop Ryan, a woman and a young girl walked out. They returned when Mass continued. After Mass, I overheard two elderly women saying they were as confused as ever and did not know how to vote. 
This is a bad state of affairs. However, twice the people of this country have voted to retain proportional representation, thereby ensuring a place for all faiths. This, plus the tact that Taoiseach Garrett Fitzgerald has had and the courage to change his mind, gives me some hope that a majority of us will give a decisive no to this unnecessary and divisive amendment. Michel Lamas, Siobhan McKenna, Dublin. Sir, I am a conscientious objector to the forthcoming referendum. My informed conscience will not allow me to vote yes because of the element of risk to the mother or to vote no because of the element of risk to the unborn child. The Church advises us to follow our informed conscience and that is what I plan to do. Consequently, I shall abstain from voting on September 7th. Yours, Mrs Maureen O'Neill, Tremor, County Waterford. And after September 7th, when the amendment was passed, there was another huge flood of letters to the Irish Times and we wanted to bring you a couple of letters from women at that point. Sir... A lot more than romantic Ireland's dead and gone now that the special position of the Roman Catholic Church has been written back into our Constitution. Gone forever is the pretense that we are a pluralist society anxious for reconciliation with our fellow Christians north and south. Gone for the foreseeable future is the meaning of the tentative ecumenical gestures made every January by the Christian churches of this island. The sheer, vulgar triumphalism of the so-called pro-life campaign was so eagerly endorsed from the pulpit by the Roman Catholic hierarchy that it has made me deeply ashamed of the religion into which I was born, the old, bludgeoning, unteachable church Hibernicus with its sorry litany of triumphs to which Conor Cruz O'Brien has called attention to in your columns. Parnell, the mother and child scheme, And now this useless and most dangerous amendment. I saw Archbishop Ryan's liberation on Wednesday of the aged contemplative nuns who could know nothing of the delicate family catastrophes they might be helping to create against the question on her way to the polling booth of a 90-year-old lady whose own family was being reared all of 70 years ago. She asked me, How could anybody with a brain believe that a fertilised egg has as much right to live as a mother who will leave behind her a shattered man and three or four helpless children if she dies. How indeed. Even that splendid old lady knew that this amendment has nothing whatever to do with abortion, but with the purpose of those sinister right-wing Roman Catholic elements who are determined, as the Tornishta Mr Dick Spring has stressed, to turn back the social progress of recent years, to outlaw certain widely used forms of contraception and to enshrine in our constitution an attitude to women which verges on contempt. With obvious honourable exceptions, most of them from the ranks of Labour or the Workers' Party, the politicians have shamefully let us down by washing their hands of what they were elected to do. But they should take heart from the fact that 400,000 citizens voted no to the sectarian state. Half the electorate have shown their disgust by not voting and a majority of the other half is still a minority. Not such a splendid mandate after all for a return to the repressive, fearful Catholicism of the 40s and 50s which many of us fought against then and will do so again. Yours, Valmel Kearns, Dublin. Sir, 
I would like to call on all the women involved in the anti-amendment campaign to now get involved in services and organisations to help unmarried pregnant girls and show them a practical way that they can care for women. Yours, Uno Sullivan, County Kerry. That's all the letters we have time for. I want to say thank you to all the people who read. I read a couple myself and so did my co-producer Jennifer Ryan. But thanks also to Irish Times journalists Nora Eda McAuliffe, Rachel Collins, Madeleine Lyons and Neve Towie for doing that. And so the campaign rumbles on. There was a large Save the Eighth meeting in Clontarf Castle the other night. The Together for Yes campaign are on target to raise half a million euro in their latest crowdfunding campaign. And of course, the letters keep flooding in to the Irish Times letters page. What I found from trawling our archive is that the letters to the paper really do provide a valuable social commentary of the way we were and also the way we are. So keep sending in letters. The more women send them in, the more women's names will appear on the page and the louder our voices will be. That's it for this episode. Remember, you can subscribe to us on your usual apps or you can always find us on irishtimes.com. Do drop us an email on the women's podcast at irishtimes.com if you've anything at all you want to tell us about. The podcast is produced by myself, Roisin Ingle, and by Jennifer Ryan. We'll talk to you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.